Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Online on DAB Plus, Talk Radio and Talk TV. Good morning and welcome to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk TV. It is the day after the night before the autumn statement, which was not only um, delivered uh, in what can only be described as a very calm and collected way, uh, but actually reverberated around for all of the afternoon yesterday when people started to discover that there was quite a lot that Jeremy Hunt didn't say that was actually going to make you all an awful lot poorer. So thanks very much indeed to Jeremy Carl for the last three and a half hours because he was talking to an awful lot of people who are sick to death fed up to the back teeth of a Tory government that spends money willy-nilly, that tells you that you have to take more pain, that you have to pay more tax, that you'll have to lose even more of your income in order to pay for all the things that they want to do. And yet, they still expect you to vote for them in a couple of years' time. Richard Tice is here with me this morning. An awful lot of people wondering when reform are going to take over the government. Um, I don't know how possible that's going to be, and I can't sit here, obviously, and endorse another uh, political party. But for God's sake... The Tories have run out of road, surely, and they keep asking us to keep paying for the next bit of road that they want to build without actually building it. They want money and then they waste it. We were seeing yesterday there was something like £14 billion of waste in the civil service alone, including all the fraud that went out during during COVID, uh, including all of the ridiculous uh, grants that were paid to companies that weren't even real, in, as well as ridiculous amounts of money being paid for things like a £6,000 Italian villa for God knows what reason, and for ridiculous things like sandwiches for people to come back to work. Why are we paying for all this? Why are we being rinsed? Why are we being, being treated uh, like animals that are literally being led to the slaughter? I'm sick to death of it. I said this yesterday. I thought when Je uh, Jeremy Hunt sat down yesterday, I thought, well, he's done a reasonable job. But actually, having given it some thought, having found out what's actually really going on, I think he has completely kiboshed this economy for good. And I think it's time that we said so. 0344 499 1000. We've got lots to do coming up. Bob Seeley MP is going to be joining us on the subject of Ukraine. We're going to be talking to Jonathan Gullit MP on the subject of uh, asylum seekers and illegal migrants. And we're also going to find out from one particular hotelier in Kent why he has turned down the government's rather generous offer to shut down his hotel, sack all of his staff, cancel all of the weddings that he's already got booked for the rest of the year and take about a million quid in order to house migrants only in his hotel. He's not going to do it. Also, uh, we're going to talk to Mark Saggers looking ahead to the Qatar World Cup, which seems to be spinning out of control already. But that's what happens when you give it to some despotic Islamic regime, isn't it? And now 
Kevin O'Sullivan will be here as well. The Black Farmer too. Loads going on. Uh, we want to hear from you though as well. 0344 499 1000. Because I can tell that you're pretty much sick to the back teeth as I am of this government. And it's time to kick him out. This is Talk TV. Now, far be it from me to suggest to you that uh, there is a man sitting with me who looks very calm and cool and ready for government. It's Richard Tice. Very good morning to you. Well, I'm going to say morning. I don't think that many people are waking up, Mike, feeling that it's a good morning because we're all just completely and utterly reeling mm. from what happened yesterday. Yeah. And yes, the Chancellor, Jeremy Hunt, delivered it in a calm, uh, sombre manner, but I have to say that it was almost as though he was enjoying inflicting pain yes. and suffering yeah. on the workers mm. in this country. People who strive, who work hard, who achieve, who save money. And then basically this, let's still call them a government, whatever they are. They're mm. certainly not what most people would expect from a Conservative government. Let's call them an administration. Um, they are, uh, they're continuing to waste billions and billions of pounds and to tax people to ever, ever higher levels. And mm. it's a simple economic fact. The more you increase taxes, then the lower growth you will get. And you get to a tipping point, and you alluded to it. Mm. And we are, we're either there or we are very, very close to it, mm. where it's a bit like a boat going over a waterfall. You can still just save it before it goes over the edge. But once it's gone over the edge, yeah. it's gone. You it's ain't gone. getting it back. Yeah. It's finished. It's over. And we are very, very close to that. And here's the unbelievable thing. That actually, when you dig into the numbers, it turns out that real government spending, far from being cut, it's actually going up. Yes. So they're increasing government spending. So they've literally proved that they are a form of socialism mm. because they're raising our taxes. Well, they're giving an awful they're, lot of our money away, aren't they? They're, they're raising our spending. They're very happy to give it overseas on loss and damages for, uh, for other issues to do with COP27 or COP110, mm. who knows. They're very happy to give it away on foreign aid, yeah. but they're not very happy to cut waste, spend money efficiently, sensibly, mm. where it needs to be spent. And They're also this very is, happy to continue funding Ukraine. And as much as, I mean, I said this yesterday, you know, as much as people say, well, of course, we have to help Ukraine against uh, Russia because we, we have to defend but it, sovereignty. But, it, but, but people are saying, hang on a minute. Uh, no, I, I understand why people are saying, hang on a minute. Yeah. The truth is the numbers that we're funding Ukraine in the overall scheme of things are actually relatively modest and it's absolutely the right thing to do. But what you've got to do in order to be able to fund things like that, you've got to have growth. You've got to create conditions for growth mm. in an economy. And that's about reducing government spending, reducing the waste and creating growth by lowering taxes and getting rid of regula regulations, mm. unnecessary regulations. And they've reversed from all of that. Yeah. And I mean, I've said it before, all of us, we're looking at our bills and we're thinking, wow, how can I save five quid in a hundred? Yeah. Businesses are doing the right. same. You actually end up being a bit more efficient, a bit leaner. Yeah. The government's not doing that. They're increasing Because they don't have to worry about that, do they? Because they, they have just to worry continually about tell us that we must tighten our belts. There's going to be pain. The front page uh, of the Times today, years of pain, uh, tax pain ahead, with a picture of um, Jeremy Hunt looking a bit manic, actually, on the front page. It's almost as, you say, as, as if he's enjoying it. But, you know, they have no clue about how ordinary people are feeling. One after another of the calls this morning to Jeremy Carl's show, people hard-working, struggling to make ends meet, 
saying they're at the end of their tether. Yeah, they be, don't know what they're going to do. People are at the end of the day. But, but here's the thing. This is so totally unnecessary. This this deliberate choice of austerity from yeah. Sunak and the Chancellor, Jeremy Hunt, is totally unnecessary. If the government cut five quid in a hundred, that's 50 billion quid. Mm. If they tax the renewable industry for their vast subsidies that they get of 11 billion quid, that's another big saving. Uh, if they... Uh, where else do we go? Um, HS2. Mm. You could save a net 50 billion quid having even done the east-west in the north. More mm. and more people are talking about that. Why aren't they doing that? What about the benefits? There's one and a half million more people on benefits than there were pre-COVID. Mm. That's 25 billion quid mm. a year. No attempt to say we need to support, train, help and get those people back into work mm. because apparently we've got a labour shortage yeah. and apparently we need to bring in another million a year well, guess because what? we've got a labour shortage. That's because, we got- because we've created an environment for people who can only work if they want to work, um, can only work part time if they wish to. You know, we used to have a, a work ethic in this country where everybody went to work because it was what you did. Now, people don't want to go to work. I hear more and more people saying, oh, well, it's all about my work-life balance. Well, sod your work-life balance, get to work, make some money, pay your taxes and get the economy rolling. You don't sit at home, subsidised by the government, to put your feet up and massage your calves. And there's no such thing as a free lunch. No. But unfortunately, too many people now, because this government has just dished out handouts willy-nilly for years, they've given too many people that impression. Mm. And I think that there is a... uh, Working people are absolutely aghast... Mm furious and it's a tragedy actually it's an absolute tragedy for the country it's a tragedy for the five million people trapped on out of work benefits it's a tragedy for those in work Mm. who are having money taken away by this government that it goes in completely Mm. and utterly wasted and the the refrain i hear more and more um and since yesterday in particular is that the hard-working ordinary people of this country are the ones that are getting screwed every single time what is the point of going out there every single day working hard for your family as this government takes more and more of that money and gives it to people who are not doing that absolutely right so so there's that and then there's the uh, you know net zero has a massive massive part of the cost of this the 11 billion of renewable subsidies I've just mentioned, the huge energy costs everyone uh, has got, that, which is a taxpayer-funded energy cap scheme, is completely unnecessary. You should put that cost on the producers, the UK producers, most of whom are actually foreign-owned. They're making off like bandits, whilst we, the taxpayer, are being absolutely hammered and fleeced and shafted. Mm. And it's just completely unacceptable. It's damaging to the nation. And we are in a terrible, terrible state. And the really terrifying thing is that the OBR that everybody seems to think is the absolute god uh, of forecasting, well, they've been pretty appalling at their forecast to date. I think they're being over-optimistic in their growth forecasts Mm. for years uh, two and three out from here. They're talking about getting back to 2.5% growth levels. Well, they're hopeful, They're hopeful that everything will pass in the same way that Boris Johnson's government kind of hit and hope on Brexit, they hit and hope on Northern Ireland, they hit and hope on all sorts of things and went, well, maybe this will all work out. So six months from now, if we can pass through the nightmare, it will all be better. Let me tell you, with the total tax take of this country at around 37%, a record post-war high, things do not pass. Mm. Things stagnate, things get wasted, and uh, as you say, good people will just say, well, I'm either not going to work as hard, Mm. uh, or I'm going to try and go into the cash economy, 
or I'm going to go elsewhere. Yeah. I mean, lots of people, young people are saying, what's the point of remaining in the UK? Yeah. I can't afford a house. I get absolutely rinsed if I work hard. Mm. I'll go somewhere else. Mm. And if you've got an opportunity to do that, I'm sure you will. It's an let's, utter tragedy. Let's have a look back at what happened yesterday because we carried it live on this show. A lot of people said to me, that was the best show you ever did without saying anything. Uh, I'm not so sure that's a, that's a good point to make. But this was Jeremy Hunt yesterday talking about inflation. Got this tweet from Jill who says this. I found the fiscal statement shocking yesterday, not only because of the content, but because of the smiling, the laughing, the backslapping, scheming Tories on the benches, not one of whom will suffer from yesterday's announcement. Uh, and I think we can probably see the, uh, uh, the backslapping that went on when Jeremy Hunt sat down. But that was the other problem. I started off the show yesterday talking about how not one of the people sitting in the House of Commons today, uh, while Jeremy Hunt is doing this, will actually, now we can see him getting uh, slapped on the back, not one of them will suffer, not one of them will understand what it's like in the rest of the country to have to find money to pay for your food or to pay for your heating because they've all got subsidies up the wazoo, they've all claimed expenses, they've got second home allowances, they've got everything they need, travel allowances and all the rest of it. And people are really sick to death of that. The fact that these people who are working for us with our money are just treating us like flotsam and jetsam. There was a sort of sneering smugness yeah. as the Chancellor sat down. And the way that Prime Minister Sunak sort of leant over, smiling, slapping him on the mm. side, w was utterly awful. And, of course, as he sat down, he knew that he had deliberately hidden one of the yeah. key rises in taxes yes. in some OBR document mm. that next March he's going to increase fuel duty yes. by an unbelievable 12 pence per yeah, litre. 23%, right? I mean, it's just unbelievable. And what does he think he's doing? I mean, how dare he think that he can get away with that, concealing something which is a really major part of what he did oh, yesterday I, and I, just not telling anyone? And he got found out uh, towards the back end of the speech, I think, uh, by uh, economics commentator who spotted it in the depth of that OBR yeah. document. And he was always going to get found out. But again, it's that... It's that sort of sneering, I'm smarter than you, yeah. I can tuck it away in the, in the small print, yeah. as opposed to being honest. I mean, right. Sunak got elected on the basis of transparency, integrity and honesty. Mm. And in one of the key first set pieces that yeah. they give, actually they've been hiding stuff. They've been sort of secreting things mm. away yeah. in the small print at the bottom. I just think it's utterly... And people are not stupid. Awful. People not. are not happy. And we've got the, the phone lines are literally ringing off the hook. You'll be probably still talking about it on Sunday when you do your uh, show. Absolutely. Because there will still be people who will be absolutely outraged that they're having to find more money for the local council tax. They're going to have to find more money for petrol, more money for food. You know, it's just incredible. More money for their mortgage. There's no suggestion at all um, that anything that they did yesterday is going to halt inflation. Um, inflation will probably control itself. As you've said before, we believe, many people believe, that it's now peaked and just let it come back down by itself yeah but again they just in a sense they've made uh, they've made rich multinational corporations the big energy firms the renewable energy firms they're making off like absolute bandits and the windfall taxes that they claim they're imposing hardly anyone actually it turns out is really paying that they find ways to get around that mm. so look they're friends in the multinationals happy days thank you very much ordinary people absolutely hammered mm. utterly hammered just into the ground yeah. and yeah deeply deeply depressing and uh it's, you know, if you want to sort of get away from it, well, I'm not sure there's much attraction to go to Qatar and watch the World Cup well, either, is there? That, we're coming on to that in a second. Just before we do that, uh, let's do uh, another little clip from yesterday, which is something to do with a, um, a subject very dear to my heart. And let's have a look at Jeremy Hunt on this. 
Because the OBR forecast half of all new vehicles will be electric by 2025, to make our motoring tax system fairer, I've decided that from then, electric vehicles will no longer be exempt from vehicle excise duty. <laughs> there is, I have to say, viewers Sorry. and listeners, there is a, there is a, there is a smiling smugness on Mike Graham because he predicted I did. This. I did. And of course, when I made that clear to people on Twitter the other day, they were all like, what does that make you? Nostradamus? Everybody knew this was going to happen. It was like, well, actually, no, the electric car manufacturers didn't say that. One of their main selling points to an awful lot of people was you will pay zero road tax because there are zero emissions. And therefore, this is a much cheaper way to drive your new electric car. Well, it turns out, sorry, that's actually not going to happen because, of course, as they say, if more and more cars do become electric, if it's 50%, they need 40 billion quid from the, uh, the, yes. the, the, the customers of this country to keep the road tax going. I mean, look, it's, it's pretty obvious. If you are trying to propose for, to have less uh, fossil fuel-based cars yeah. and more electric cars, and you earn a huge amount of revenue from the fossil fuel yeah. cars, then at some point you're going to have to change the, the tax system yeah. Uh, and and replace the lost revenue is basic common sense, which we specialise in in yeah. it, at Talk TV, and it was it was going to happen at some point. It was just this, a matter of where. But how does this marry up with the great net zero obsession, right? Where they say, oh well, we must kind of persuade people to go to net zero because it will be cheaper and better for the environment. Well, now it's not cheaper. Uh, whether it's better for the environment is another matter altogether. But it's no longer cheaper now to have an electric car. And particularly where the price of electricity is going, uh, there's more and more people actually providing the evidence that the cost of charging your electric car is is approaching or equal to, mm. or in some cases, in some cases more more than uh, filling up your. Well, I'm, I'm getting a new car. I'm not going to tell you what kind it is because that would be wrong. Um, but I'm getting a petrol car. I'm not getting an electric car. I looked at getting an electric car, but quite simply, it, there's no way to charge it in in enough places for me anyway. In terms of where I tend to go. You know, if I drive from London to Sussex on a Friday, I don't even know if there's any charge points on the way there at all. And if there are, no doubt there'll be some maniacs going, oh, of course, there's loads of them. Yeah, but you don't have to find them. You have to leave the road that you're on. You have to disappear off into the, you know, the backwaters of Tunbridge Wells or something yeah. and plug yourself into some uh, charge point which might be being used by somebody else. I'm not doing it. Look, the reality is that their plans for the growth in electric cars and the ban on new sales of fossil fuel cars, it's untenable. Mm. At some point, uh, those main parties will have to be honest with people that it's untenable. Yeah. We are being honest with people and saying, uh, we don't support that ban. Mm. We don't think it's necessary. We think that you should be actually improving technology to make fossil fuel engines cleaner, uh, less emissions, make fuels cleaner. And that's how, with technology, mm. you gradually reduce emissions in an affordable, sensible, strategic yeah. way. That's the right thing to do. Uh, what the main parties is doing, it's all part of their net zero obsession, and it's all part of making us net poorer. And yeah. that budget yesterday has made everybody net poorer, and the cost of energy and the cost of net zero is an absolutely integral key component of making us poorer. And people need to wake up, yeah. they need to understand that, uh, and people need to say enough's enough. We're not doing it. Yeah, absolutely right. We've only got little, literally less than a minute, but we want to talk about Qatar. The World Cup kicks off on Sunday with the big game, Qatar versus Ecuador. Huh? I don't think I'll be watching Great. it. Well, it turns out if you are watching it at, in Qatar, they don't want you to drink any beer now. Right. With a couple of days to go, they've said no beer, even right. though who's the biggest sponsor? A beer company. Budweiser, right? Unbelievable. 
So that is. Uh, I, I wonder whether or not they've also, people they've also will allow the that sort of or the, stop it. Uh, the crazed sort of security guards walking around threatening to beat people up and, and throw their cameras on the ground and, and, and destroy them. They've also got these fake fan zones full of fake fans who aren't actually football fans <laughs> at all. <laughs> and they're going to them, who's your favourite player? Frank Lampard. And you go, he's not playing. Wayne Rooney. No, he's not playing either. I mean, it's ridiculous, isn't it? Just incredible. Comedy and these same time. fans, you know, with different shirts on at different times of the day. You couldn't make it up. Yeah, incredible. But you could, it's FIFA. Well, it's, it's it is FIFA, yeah. I liked them better when they were corrupt. Oh, sorry. Um, <laughs> I didn't realise I said that. It was a mistake. Um, Richard Tice, back on Sunday uh, with the Tice Sunday Sermon. Always worth listening to. 10 o'clock on Sunday. We're coming up next with Bob Seeley, MP. We'll find out what he makes of Jeremy Hunt's budget and also uh, Ukraine. What's going on? This is Talk TV. Welcome back to the Independent Republican, Mike Graham, right here on Talk TV. We've got lots to do, loads coming up throughout the course of the show today. We are here, of course, until 1pm uh, when Ian Collins will be along. Um, and then, of course, there will be Vanessa Feltz from 4. Uh, and then um, we've got the talk coming up at 6, a bit earlier tonight than normal. And then at 7, Plank of the Week with me. Mike Graham, uh, not as the plank, obviously, but uh, coming up with all the various different reasons for the plank. Uh, Chris in Newbury says, this might we need a new net zero strategy for the 2023 local elections. Net zero Tories in local councils. As a Tory member, I actually got an email last night asking if I would go canvassing with them this Saturday. I'd rather go knocking in doors in Kiev wearing an I Love Russia T-shirt. And that is a bit of the problem right now for people who are Tory members, people who are Tory party um, sort of officials, people who have always voted Tory, people who are members of the Conservative Party. They're not that happy with what is going on. Let's talk to Bob Seeley, MP, Conservative uh, member for uh, um, the Isle of Wight and, of course, Foreign Affairs Select Committee member as well. Bob, a very good morning to you. Good morning, good morning to your viewers and listeners. Um, I guess the, uh, the, the the thing we must start with is, is the budget statement, the autumn statement from yesterday. Um, the general view being sort of abroad that, yes, the ship has been steadied, yes, the economy has been kind of cooled down, but as people kind of take the details in and the, and, and the reality sinks in, everybody's thinking, well, hang on a minute, I'm not going to be very well off next year. Things are not going to be great. Um, what can you do to reassure people that this is the right, absolutely the right thing to do? I'd say, OK, great question. And I'd say that there are probably a couple of answers to that. Firstly, it is better to be brutally honest with people because I think it is easier to make tough decisions if you are blunt with people and if you tell them, look, this is the situation and this is why we have to make the savings. I mean, for me personally, I totally respect what Jeremy did. I'm very supportive of it. I want to see more in the way of actually finding government savings before the next election. Mm. The civil service is a quarter, 25% bigger than it was in 2015, 2016. Is that necessary? And personally, Mike, look, I don't know about your um, viewers and listeners, but I just think that HS2 is a staggering waste of money. Yeah. And cancelling as much of it as possible, so effectively scrapping north of Birmingham, for the next te decade, you will save tens of billions because the idea that this thing is going to run to cost is a farce. Yeah. And some of that money you can put back into, you know, helping people, maybe lowering income tax, you know, raising thresholds, all this good stuff. And maybe also that we can build better infrastructure so we do northern networked rail properly rather than build a railway from the south. I mean, it... I don't know why we think we help levelling up by building a railway out of London, mm. but I'm sure somebody explained it to me. So I'm very supportive of Jeremy. I'm very supportive of what Rishi has done. They've had to do this. What we now need to be doing is talking much more in the language of hope. 
So we're going to make these difficult decisions now, but the reason why good times are ahead is because of A, B and C. I also do think that we need to be looking more for doing some more savings now. And, you know, HS, HS2, I mean, it's a turkey and a white elephant. It's, mm. it's a turkey. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right about that. And I think a lot of people listening and watching this show will agree with you um, that there are far more important kind of um, things that could be being done. And you're right to say that it's better to be honest with people. But one of the things that a lot of people are annoyed about this morning is that what he didn't uh, say and what he wasn't honest about was this rise in fuel duty, which is going to happen in March of next year, where people are going to be paying 12 to 13 pence more for a litre of petrol. And I think it, it would have been better if he had actually uh, fessed up to that rather than letting us discover it later on in the afternoon. I mean, look, he was trying to get a lot of bad news out yesterday. So, uh, so I forgive him for, for not putting that out. And uh, apologies if that's the case. But uh, it's, there's no sort of sleight of hand on his part. You cannot accuse Jeremy of hiding the bad news uh, because he's been sort of he's been almost too upfront about it. Well, he did hide that bit, though. OK, well, uh, um, he didn't mention it, maybe because he was trying to get through a lot of other stuff. Mm. So, so I, I will absolutely give him the benefit of that. Look, we, we have a very strong team and times are bad. But the blunt truth is that in about a year and a half and two years or a year, whenever the election is, people are going to have a choice. And do we want a um, difficult situation managed by people like Rishi Sunak, Jeremy, uh, Jeremy Hunt and the Conservatives? Or do you actually want it managed by a Labour Party, half of which is still Corbynite? Mm. We are trying to deal with the circumstances as much as we can. The basic problem is that we spent 400 billion over COVID. And I was one of those people at the end who was realizing actually lockdowns are probably killing more people than they mm. save. Mm. See, writing off, right, smashing us economically for a decade. And I wish we just had the first two lockdowns now. And I wish more of us had been more vocal about our concerns because that 400 billion is a staggering amount of money that we're beginning to pay off. Yeah. Um, and combined, the, the other thing we know about, which was out of our control, is the Ukraine war and the devastating effect that that's had on energy prices and inflation and hugely putting up the cost of living and increasing inflation on basic foodstuffs as well, like wheat, because a lot of it is stuck and can't get yeah. out of the Yes, so and, are, and, and, we'll, and, we'll, and we'll come on to Ukraine in a moment. But certainly you're right to say that Labour is not the alternative that most people would want, because if Rachel Reeves' statement yesterday is any indication of what their ideas are, then they literally yeah. don't have any. No, they don't have. And, you know, they would say, well, we don't have to have elections two years away. But even that gives the game away that mm. I think the Labour Party... Either they're going to promise a lot of stuff they can't deliver or they're just going to be um, a less competent version of the Conservatives. So I think come the next... I actually, I'm so glad, Mike, that we're getting back to politics as usual and actually very serious politics. Mm. So we've got this whole sort of Boris psychodrama behind us. I, you know, it's just... I couldn't bear it. Yeah. We've, we've now got a good leader who's going to take us into the next election. We've got a strong chancellor, a strong cabinet. Yeah. And actually, we have some massive, massive global problems to solve. We have a war in Ukraine. You know, we have a potential implosion in the Russian Federation. This is the world's biggest nuclear-armed country in the world. Mm. We have an energy crisis, an inflation crisis, you know, a post-COVID recovery crisis. Uh, these are things which have been brought on us by largely by world events. Yes. Um, and actually, I'm, I'm, I'm glad that politics has got serious again because we need to solve these. We need to be discussing and debating and solving these massive problems that we have. I wish we didn't have these problems. Mm. I'd, I'd actually, um, in, in, in some ways, I'm glad they're actually now dealing with serious stuff again because we need to get focused on 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 the serious stuff that's happening in the world, be it the energy crisis, the inflation crisis, Ukraine war, you know, what's going to yes. happen in Russia. 
catch up. Yeah, because I wanted to ask you about that. I mean, obviously, the Ukraine government is pleading for more air defences after what happened in Poland this week. I mean, I was quite I, I'm encouraged, as I'm sure you were, by the sort of reaction of the West. It wasn't, you know, knee-jerk, and nobody started shouting for, you know, retaliation. NATO was quite calm. Even Joe Biden actually did quite well for a change. Um, so it's a worry, though, isn't it? Because clearly, you know, there is the potential for collateral damage to places like Poland and other, other NATO states around Ukraine? Global, my global conflicts are caused by two things. Firstly, they're caused by major underlying tensions, like in the World War I, World War II. And then secondly, you have either random events or miscalculations. So World War I was started by a random event. World War II was started by Hitler's miscalculation in, uh, in Poland, okay? So what we have to do is understand what a random event is and understand that Putin may miscalculate, uh, but we certainly shouldn't be miscalculating. So I'm glad that the reaction was very calm on Friday. It was either a Ukrainian missile or a Russian missile that veered astray. My only thought at the time was it may be the Russians so far have either not been able to or just haven't targeted those supply lines that are bringing in lots of Western uh, equipment across wherever they come across, into mm. Ukraine, either Poland or Slovakia or Hungary or, or, or wherever. Um, and I wondered if it was the Russians trying to target that. But that aside, this was clearly a random accident. Much more important, much more important was the 100 hits on civilian infrastructure targets. Targets. The Russian strategy this winter, Mike, is two-pronged. Firstly, it is to hold a defensible line. That's why they've withdrawn from Herson mm. City. It was the wrong side of Dnipro. They couldn't hold it. So that was the first point. The second thing they're trying to do is destroy Ukrainian infrastructure. So they say the Ukrainians, so they, the Russians, well, Putin effectively says to the Ukraine, you know, you want to go cold, you want to go hungry, you want to go without water. Let's see how you how long you want to survive mm. this war. Yeah. Putin thinks he has strategic patience, and let's see if that's true. Final question for you locally, uh, Bob. Isle of Wight, Southern Water, uh, something that you were campaigning about over the over the course of the last few months. What's the what's the latest on that particular scenario? I, I've, I've, I've literally just had a constituency call with a, a lady, a very nice lady from Ride, and we are probably going to be starting a uh, give us our slow release water butts campaign come January the first or certainly early in January. Southern Water have the biggest pilot scheme in Britain on the Isle of Wight. And it's one of the things that we negotiated when the Environment Bill was going through. Mm. So they're spending millions of pounds cleaning up the Sandown sewage plant, but also they're doing lots of practical things, which means that we don't get so much runoff um, going into the rivers and beaches on the island like everywhere else. Mm. Um, and so one of the things that really helps is getting a water butt, which captures a lot of the water that comes from roofs, but then releases it very slowly, you know, in the hours and days after. Mm. So it stops the water rushing from your roof into the drains, yeah. where sometimes it takes human sewage out into the rivers and beaches. And this lady and I were talking about the situation in Ride, uh, where, you know, people may know where Ride is, it's just opposite Portsmouth. Yeah. So we are going to be running some more campaigns on this, but we have a very big pilot scheme from Southern Water. And the good news is that in a short space of time, I hope the Isle of Wight will have the cleanest rivers and beaches yeah. in Britain. Sounds like common sense to me. I think we should endorse that immediately, so we will do. Bob, thank you very much indeed. Bob Seeley, uh, MP there for the Isle of Wight, talking about Ukraine and talking also um, about the need for honesty in politics. If only there was more, that would be good, wouldn't it? We'll take some calls. We'll talk some more about all sorts of things coming up. And we're going to be talking about the World Cup in Qatar. Kevin O'Sullivan's going to join us as well. He's got some big shows coming up this weekend. And, of course, uh, we want to hear from you. 0344 499 1000. This is Talk TV.
Fast Talk. Street Talk. Mike Graham. Fighting the good fight with all his might. Providing a welcome dose of common sense for the common people. Solid Talk. Hot Talk. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham. Online on DAB Plus, Talk Radio and Talk TV. Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk TV. Much to do today. Coming up in this hour, we're going to be talking to a hotel owner by the name of Richard Martin. Uh, he's a man who was offered money by the Home Office, by this government, right, uh, in order to make sure that his hotel uh, was no longer open to the public. This is a man uh, who has run a hotel for many, many years. It's called the Blazing Donkey Country Hotel near Sandwich in Kent, which is a rather lovely part of the world, uh, down on the sort of southeast coast of this country, not far from Dover, in fact. But uh, basically, the Home Office said to him, look, here's what we want to do. We want to give you a bucket load of money. We want you to close your hotel to the general public. We want you to fire all of your staff. We will, through Serco, supply you with more staff, security guards and all the rest of it. Uh, you will cancel all weddings, all parties, all um, retirement dues that you may have booked over the course of the next few months. And you will tell people that they can have their money back, but they can't have their party. And thankfully, Richard Martin, a man clearly uh, of some renown, actually said, actually, you know what? No, thank you. Because I have made a commitment, uh, not only to the people uh, that I employ, but also to the people who have booked weddings, the people who have booked uh, marriages, the people who have booked parties, retirement parties, birthday parties, you know, leaving dues, all sorts of things that were going on in his hotel will continue to go on. And he said, thank you, but no thank you. Uh, also, I have a duty of care to look after all the people that work here. So I raise my uh, glass and I take my hat off to Richard Martin. Also, uh, we're going to be talking to Joe Ventry from Taxpayers Alliance about exactly what the budget uh, for what it was worth actually means to people and what it means to your pocket because what it does seem to be uh, is a recipe for disaster. It's going to be more money going out of your household income, more money going into your car, more money going into the energy companies, more subsidies coming to people on benefits. And the one good part about it, I suppose, which we could say, is that pensioners have been guaranteed the triple lock uh, so that they will actually be able uh, to make ends meet over the course of time. Before before we speak to Jonathan Gullis, MP for Stoke-on-Trent, who's got plenty to say about asylum seekers and illegal migrants and hotels and all of that, let's talk to Aaron, who's in Blackpool. Hi, Aaron. Hello there. How are you doing? Very well indeed. What can I do for you, sir? Hi. Uh, yeah, so um, I wasn't at all surprised by the um, autumn statement yesterday, a.k.a. the budget. We all know it's a budget, don't we? Let's not lie about yes. that. Uh, so I want to talk about the fuel prices. Uh, so I'm a delivery driver myself. Right. Um, I'm, I'm employed. I'm not self-employed. Um, and I am on minimum wage. Right. And But the fact is that we we all noticed a massive increase in the fuel prices earlier on this year. Like yes. it jumped massively. And they don't seem to be looking at that at all. You know, like kind of reviewing it or anything. They're just focusing on the energy, which yeah. I understand. But the fuel prices is the epicenter of the economy. You you keep on rising the fuel prices, the whole country universally suffers. The mm. food suffers. Everything to do with logistics yeah. suffers. So you keep on rising the fuel prices, everyone is going to feel that pinch on the road. Mm. Exactly right. And there's no reason why, for example, they need to put up the fuel tax, which is now coming, as we understand it, in March of next year, where it will start to cost more than 12 or 13 pence extra per litre uh, of petrol yeah. or diesel to you? Yeah, it's. Um, I, I find it hard to understand why they're doing it because they are ruining the economy by, by just single-handedly rising these fuel prices. Because, like I just said, it is just rising. If 
got the food prices, people are struggling as it is. Mm. I mean, I'm on minimum wage. I've got a, a wife who works part time in the civil services, and you know we're scared to heat our homes because right. of the amount that we're having to pay. Are you are you actively having to try and save money then? Yeah, yeah, we're actively trying to save. You know, we both work and we pay all our bills. But you just kind of look at your bank account and you're thinking, wow, it's getting smaller each day. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and it's not, I mean, a lot of what was, was announced yesterday isn't even going to kick in for a while, but what's going to happen is this time next year, you're going to be looking down the wrong end of a much bigger set of bills, aren't you? Yeah, 100%, yeah. Mm. I mean, what he was talking about with the nuclear power plant and stuff, that's not going to be enforced for no. another five years, am I right? So right. it's going to be a massive, massive plan. Um, and, yeah, it's it's just crazy. Yeah, well, I'm going to speak to a Tory MP in a second. Um, Aaron, if you'd like me to give him a message for you, I'll be happy to do it. What should the message be? Uh, the message that I want is, you know, if we can try and find out a way or, you know, the reason why these fuel prices continue to rise because, mm. you know, the fuel companies have actually stated that they are making massive profits like into the billions. Mm. And so they're, they're allowed to walk walk around with money hanging out their pockets and, you know, us not having to work and pay into the system yeah. are suffering. Yes. And I don't think that's right. No, I think I agree totally with you. Aaron, thank you very much indeed. What a very well thought out call and what a very heartfelt message. Um, and I'm now delighted to say I'm joined by Jonathan Gullis, MP, Conservative MP for Stoke-on-Trent. Jonathan, I don't know whether you were able to hear what Aaron had to say. Good morning uh, to you. Um, he's right, isn't he? I mean, you know, People in this country are having been battered and bruised over the course of the last two years with COVID. They're now being told by Jeremy Hunt that there has to be a bit more pain. You know, he's a delivery driver. He's a courier. Um, he, he, he drives for a living. He says it's becoming in untenable. It's becoming ridiculous that the price of fuel cannot be controlled. In fact, worse than that, it's going up again. Well, first of all, uh, Mike, good to see you and lovely to be on your show. Thank and look, you. I'm, I'm proud to be uh, the champion of the Sun and Fair Fuel UK's campaign yeah. about not just keeping the cut in fuel duty where it is, but actually let's go further. Because to be quite frank, these needlessly, crippingly high taxes on the motorists is just totally unreasonable, unfair, and I think unjust at the end of the day. And I'm glad the chance of this morning is use the opportunity to clarify that the OBR are saying that's a projection, not actual government policy. But I made it very clear to him that I'll be looking and lobbying and making sure that when it comes to March, that that 5p at least stays where it is. Mm. And there's a freeze, obviously, at that point as well. But you are right to get to the more important point about companies. And that's why we want to pump watch. You know, we know that at the end of the day, there are companies profiteering unfairly off motorists where mileage hasn't changed, but yet they're being hit with extraordinary high prices. And a lot of these companies, even though fuel is uh, or, uh, costs are down by 40p uh, from where they were, they, we haven't, in fact, what we've seen is prices go up mm. at the pumps. And with diesel, we've got international companies keeping boats offshore, waiting for a monopoly on the market to see price rises and sell them at a higher price before they bring in that diesel onto UK shores and then putting it into our pumps. So you are right. These companies need to be called out and held accountable. And what I mean by accountable is told that if they don't start doing the right thing, we're going to take that money off them in some way and give that back to the motorist who obviously is being asked to uh, give them massive profits in their pockets unfairly. No, very good. Well, I think he'll be pleased to know that. And a lot of people watching this and listening to it will be very pleased to hear that as well. Um, we're going to come on to immigration in a moment. But let's, first, let's have a look at this, uh, what, what happened in Parliament the other day. Jonathan Gullis from Stoke-on-Trent, he said uh, to the immigration minister uh, that there was a problem. Enough is enough on immigration. Let's have a look.
Stoke-on-Trent, decades ago, voluntarily entered the asylum dispersal scheme. Mm -hmm. But enough is enough. We have done our bit for this country to protect some of the vulnerable people and illegal economic migrants coming to this country via safe countries like France. I am sick to the back teeth of having hotels being used in our great city, being dumped on by Serco because we voluntarily entered that scheme. The local authorities are against it, the police are against it, all three Stoke MPs are against it, and for good reason. We have Islamic extremists like Hezbollah Tahrir round the corner from the hotel operating. We have the far right in our city looking to recruit. We have public anger and outrage at the fact that their local services are being depleted whilst they're having to see them be reinforced elsewhere. When is the Minister going to tell Serco Stoke-on-Trent's done its bit and to no more use it? And if he won't, why won't he? Uh, I think, once again, um, you speak for an awful lot of people, Jonathan, who have said enough is enough many, many times. We're going to speak later on in this hour uh, to Richard Martin, who's a hotel owner who was offered the opportunity to shut down his hotel and basically just take a load of migrants for a bunch of money. And he said no, quite rightly. But this is now a ridiculous situation, isn't it? It's embarrassing, to be quite honest with you, Mike. It's uh, enough is enough, quite literally. And I'm, I'm, you know, I speak to so many people across Stoke-on-Trent, North Kids Govan Talk, who have just lost all faith that they're yeah. going to see dramatic change. And I'm, the minister's response to me, I thought, was just wet and you know not helpful in the slightest. Right. And, you know, this is a city that's the fifth largest contributor to the asylum dispersal scheme. Yet in Scotland, despite the massive virtue signalling from the Scottish National Party, only one local authority, Glasgow, ever joined that scheme. So mm. why don't we contact all those Labour MPs? Yeah. We've just lost your uh, sound there for a moment. MPs and all those uh, SNP MPs were desperate to be, uh, you know, virtue signal mm. and drop these people in their area. Yeah. Sorry, Mike. No, sorry. Uh, it's simply not people continue to use hotels. We've got army barracks. Mm. Uh, and we should be using those army barracks in... in not quite sure what... get these people uh, out of this country. Yeah, no, absolutely right. Because in the end, you know, the people who are all for these schemes, you know, the sort of the champagne socialists of Putney um, and Labour Party, people in your own party, you know, they don't seem to live in any of these constituencies where uh, people are wandering the streets. I mean, there was a meeting in Skegness, I think, in the last couple of days where a lot of angry parents went and confronted the local council and said, you know, what is going on? You know, we've got people being moved into, into these hotels. Uh, they seem to be able to move freely around. We don't really know who they are. And it's not a question of racism. It's not a question of doing anything about, um, you know, uh, not welcoming people. But we don't know who they are. And they're wandering around the streets. There's, they're near schools. You know, people are worried about it. And whether or not they are right to be worried, what is wrong is that some people are saying, oh, you're just all racist. You just don't want to welcome these people. Well, it's not, that is not the point. And we need to get that across more. Mike, around Stoke-on-Trent has around, had around 800,000 people in this city year yeah. in, year in, year out. We've now got a situation where in some areas it's a ratio of one in 30. Mm. So for every 30 residents, one is an asylum seeker, mm. which is, you know, well uh, above the one in two, well above the one in 200 ratio. It's not acceptable. You are correct. When the British taxpayers seeing nearly £7 million a week of their money going on hotels, when we've got people, elderly people who need to get out of hospital beds and into uh, their homes, yeah. why are we not putting in hotels instead and looking after them. Why are we not making sure that as soon as people arrive here illegally, they're having handcuffs slapped on them right. and they're not having 
safeguarding checks and that if they are to be in hotels, they're detained in hotels because we don't know who they are. We don't know what they've done. We don't know what their background is. We don't Mm. know if they're criminals or not. Why are we allowing people just to walk away and walk freely? It's Mm. completely unacceptable. It's madness. It's absolute madness. I mean, if you ever said to people, this is what we're planning to do over the course of the next four years, people would go, what? Have you, gone, have you gone crazy? And the government is now willfully sort of trying to um, make it impossible for us to find out where these hotels are. They're asking uh, for people like yourself not to name these hotels because they might be putting people in danger. Well, how about you stop putting people in the hotels? Well, Mike, also, what's amusing about that is that actually, because if the hotel is planning to be used for those purposes, you have to apply for planning permission. Mm. So it's a matter of public record anyway, right. where these hotels are because of the rules that are in place. Mm. And I'm not going to be ashamed of naming and shaming uh, hotel chains that have been greedy, like Britannia, mm. voted the UK's worst hotel chain, yet wants to use the North Stafford Hotel right opposite Stoke-on-Trent Railway Station uh, to block buy-up rooms, to kick out homeless people mm. from our to put in illegal economic migrants. It's not acceptable. We've done our bit in Stoke-on-Trent. With the greatest respect, this country's done its bit time and time again mm. to help people in Afghanistan, Syria, Hong Kong, and other countries across the world. These people are coming from safe third countries. If you travel from a safe third country, you should simply not be allowed to apply for asylum. And if you do come here, we should ignore the ECHR, like we did with prisons votes, put them on a plane, get them to Rwanda ASAP, and I bet that'll have a positive impact. Yeah, I'm sure it will. Jonathan, really good to talk to you. Thanks very much indeed. Apologies for, for some of the communications there which wouldn't work out quite as well as they ought to have done but Jonathan Gullis MP making a lot of very good points and very much in step with this show and with this um, commercial organisation at Talk TV because let's face it you know the idea that these commandeering commandeering of hotels for the use of block booking for asylum seekers and illegal migrants has got to stop it is ridiculous it is costly and it is not any longer affordable for this country. It's as simple as that in all sorts of ways. 0344 499 1000. Coming up, we're going to talk to a hotel owner who was offered large amounts of money to shut his place down and kick out the members of the public who were staying there. He said no. Thank goodness. This is Talk TV. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Terry and Slough says any government that raises taxes on their own people while giving away billions of British taxpayers' money on foreign aid are either stupid or don't give a damn about their own people. I believe all foreign aid should be stopped while we are in this financial situation. And as for paying for asylum seekers and illegal immigrants to stay in hotels, well, to me, it's just gross stupidity. Well, it certainly is gross stupidity. It's absolutely unbelievable. We're going to talk now uh, to a gentleman by the name of Richard Martin, who's co-owner of the Blazing Donkey Country Hotel near Sandwich in Kent, which is a very lovely part of the world. If you've never been to Sandwich, um, it is a uh, remarkable uh, part of the sort of Sank Ports. It's one of those towns on the southeast corner uh, of this country, like Deal. Uh, they've got Royal St George's, where they play the, the, the Open uh, Golf Championship. It's not that far from Rye, another beautiful city, town. Another, it's not that far from Dover either but let's find out what happened when Richard was offered the opportunity to close his hotel fire all of his staff and only take illegal migrants for the rest of time uh, very very good morning to you Richard thanks for joining us good morning my pleasure um, tell us how it all sort of uh, happened first of all because presumably you you got a phone call or you got approached by somebody it wasn't originally a phone call no we had an email from an agency that were working on behalf of the government, the right. Home Office, right. and uh, that, that email suggested that they could offer us 100% occupancy over a 12-month term, right. which all sounded too good to be true, mm. of course. Um, so um, I picked the phone up. You couldn't get through on the phone, so you had to book a Zoom meeting with these agents. Right. Uh, so the, the following morning, we Zoomed in. 
and uh, I had an explanation from the agency that they were acting on behalf of uh, the, the Home Office to secure accommodation for um, asylum seekers, right. effectively. Um, now, at the Blazing Donkey, we host around 100 weddings a year. 8,000 guests come to stay each year. We've got a, a well-established business that our family's built up since 92. I've worked here since. Mm. So um, that's our life's work, pretty much. And we're, we're lucky insofar as that hard work's paid off for us. So if we were to accept something like this, um, then overnight um, our business would effectively be trashed by way of its reputation yeah. and probably the fa- fabric of the property as well, from what I've been hearing. Yeah. Um, but, but it, it, you know, it, it was quite staggering because when I delved deeper to find out what was actually being offered, um, it was uh, to take all of the accommodation on 100% occupancy and computing over um, the, um, the period, it, it actually worked out to to be a million and 80,000 um, in total. Wow. So um, just under 1.1 million, right. uh, which it's is a, a lot of money, isn't it? Yeah, it, it, it is. It is a lot of money. I mean, because presumably you, as most hoteliers uh, operate, don't operate with fully uh, occup- full occupancy at all times. So, I mean, for a lot no. of people, that would be quite an attractive proposition. Well, even at much higher rates, uh, 60% to 65 which is what our annualised occupancy is, um, it was a lot more than we would usually enjoy. Right. But, it, you know, it's, it would only ever be a short-term hit. Right. Um and, uh, and you know, with, with our duty of care, not just to our customers, but to 25 staff here, it was never going to be a, a possibility or, or a consideration no. for us. Well, frankly. that's the other bit, isn't it? Because they would have asked you to get rid of all of your staff. And would you have been given money then to make them redundant? How would that have worked? Well, um, we, would, we weren't told that so much as um, that all they required was the accommodation, none of the catering to go with it. Now, 95% of my staff are catering staff, mm. so by virtue of the provision, we wouldn't need those staff. So they would have to be uh, all asked to step down from, from their yeah. roles. Um, if so, we if they didn't want, so if they didn't want you to provide catering, does that mean they're using an outside catering company then? The conversation and the, the exchange didn't get into that much detail, but I do understand from other hotels that have entered into these agreements that the, the government use a third-party contractor to provide the meals and services to uh, these asylum seekers. Right. Yeah, that's how. It, that's and how, how many it rooms do you have there? How many rooms, rooms? do you have? So uh, across the site, we've got uh, twenty-two hotel rooms, and we've got um, a high-end glamping site called the Ham Hideaway, right. which can sleep up to a further twenty. So we can sleep around sixty-five to seventy guests on the property, okay. based on two two guests per room. So um, a small hotel, um, but obviously large enough for the for it to be on the government's radar yeah. for accommodation. But, well, I think, but I think totally, the, totally I think the, unsuited, really. I think the problem they've got, Richard, is that they're using so many hotels that they're running out of room. Because the problem is, is these people come in, they don't seem to go anywhere, they don't seem to move yeah. out of the hotels. I mean, I I actually had an immigration. Um, department minister on a few months ago and I said how long do these people stay in these hotels and he went oh just a couple of days which is plainly incorrect because we know from just sort of anecdotal experience of talking to people that people are in these hotels for months on end and if they're booking you for a year I mean I don't Mm -hmm. know whether they mentioned this did they say what the turnover rate would be how long people would be there for they actually didn't Um, before we got to that stage it was something that I said it wouldn't be attractive to us um, and I had no idea until this approach came along just how much of this is going on um, I am aware that in our area the two major holiday in franchisees have turned themselves over to 
um, the asylum seeker yeah. market. But uh, I think that speaks volumes about their business models, mm. frankly. Um, well, it does uh, seem, you know, yeah, it does seem as though the chain hotels are more likely to do it because for them, they don't really have any loyalty to their customers anyway. Correct, correct. Yeah. Right. I mean, our customer, I mean, our, our custom, our, our chief income stream is weddings. And, mm. you know, we've got local families predominantly that have their weddings and, and through generations now over very many years. We were the first property to be licensed for outdoor weddings back in 96. Right. Um, and we haven't looked back since. It's a big part of what we do. So to remove that would be a community asset gone. Yes, absolutely right. And were they disappointed when you said no, thank you? Well, I think um, they're once removed from the government. And so the, these guys are just agents doing their job. So yeah. there was really no um, heart in it. It was just they're looking for for accommodation and they don't care where they get it from. Yeah. Um, but so, so there was no expression of disappointment. It was, the meeting was ended pretty swiftly and mm. um, we dismissed it. Okay, so they've moved on to the next victim, if you like. But listen, uh, Richard, appreciate your time. Thank you very much indeed. Um, and good luck with the business going forward because Richard Martin is the sort of the earth type of businessman in this country. He said no to the Home Office. He said no uh, to their messengers. He said no to kicking out uh, all of his staff because they would bring in outside caterers. He also said no to over a million pounds being offered. And by the way, let's not forget, that's your money, that's my money, that's our money being offered to private business in order to house a load of people who shouldn't even be here. Just let that sink in. This is Talk TV. Nationwide, by your side, Talk Radio and Talk TV. Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham. This is, of course, the one place to be, the only place to be for the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. I'm delighted to say we're joined right now by Ben Clapworthy from The Times to talk about travel, to talk about the World Cup, to talk about fuel rises and all sorts of things like that. It's a bit of striking, perhaps. Yes, um, good morning. It's a very broad uh, picture this morning, isn't it? It is indeed, mm. yes. Were you roped into the sort of coverage of the autumn statement yesterday? Uh, a little bit to do with fuel duty, yes. uh, the rail announcements, and also that news that electric car owners will yes. be for the first I time paying enjoyed that. duty on their yes. uh, free motoring that they've had for so long. Because I've been predicting that, you see, for a long time. And when I uh, said that this was absolutely what I predicted and knew it was going to happen, um, because almost everything was sort of telegraphed, wasn't it? Uh, people were like making fun of me as if to say, well, everybody knew that would happen. Well, actually, no, everybody didn't know that would happen because part of the reason to buy an electric car is that it's a lot cheaper to run because, one, you don't have to put petrol in it, and, two, you don't have to pay road tax. Well, guess what? Now you will. Well, I think that's the thing, and actually people have been sort of scratching their head about the tax conundrum for so long that actually lots of people thought that it was much further away than mm. now. Fast forward to the budget yesterday and yes. bang and no clever way. You know, lots of the electric car drivers and their motoring groups had hoped that there would be some clever way that it would be different. Mm. They'll pay per mile or so on. Actually, no, what's happened is just simply very clearly they'll be whacked with exactly the same level of tax as everybody else. Well, it was always going to happen. I mean, they might have to pay slightly less perhaps than somebody driving a Range Rover Sport or something like that, diesel. However, um, you know, 40 billion quid is brought in by the road tax tariff. And so if you're going to get, well, as he said, 50% of the cars being electric, you're not going to suddenly throw away 20 billion quid, are you? No, absolutely. And also uh, sort of campaigners from the other side say, well, actually, electric cars are heavier mm. and therefore cause more damage yes. to the roads and therefore should be taxed. This was always going to happen. Mm. We didn't know when. I must admit, I didn't predict that it would be 
right now I thought that the decision was going to be a little bit further down the line. Well, it's a couple of years away, isn't it? It's 2025. It's 2025. The interesting thing, though, that sort of people were commenting on is that it is, though, backdated. So from 2025, anyone who's brought a car between April 2017 will be hit with the standard uh, rate of tax as mm. well. That does mean that actually it's not like there's going to be a rush of people switching mm. to electric and think, well, if I buy one in the next two years, I won't have to pay tax. No, it's not going to work mm. like that, which is actually sort of the opposite of the rabbit out of the hat, yes. I suppose, the sting <laughs> in the tail for yes. those who were the so early adopters. Presumably this will result in people perhaps not buying electric cars. Well, I think what what we know is that there's that ban on pure petrol and diesel mm. cars coming in 2030. I don't. I think that will end up getting kicked into the long grass. I, I think, think so. what we will I see, see now is people. The one disappointment I've got is that some of the manufacturing companies seem to have gone along with this madness. And Land Rover, Jaguar, Land Rover, I think have already said they're not going to make any more diesel or petrol cars after that date. Volvo, I think, have done the same. There'll be others, and no doubt mm-hmm. will follow suit. I find it. It's almost like committing Harry Curry. I mean, you make cars. Why would you stop making diesel and petrol cars just because some politician says you need to save the planet? Well, the other issue is that that, is, that may be the policy for now in this country. Mm. It's not for their, all of their markets. Where, right. And you only have to look. Our charging infrastructure in this country is not good enough. No. And you, you, uh, it, uh, lots of electric car drivers, and f- feel free to call in and so on, but uh, f- I feel are in a slightly abusive relationship mm. with the charging network. Yes. They've invested in their electric car. They're very proud of it. Right. So then they tell you that actually, no, it's you know, it's perfect, yeah. it's fine. It's really good. And but then they fact, go on a long journey yeah. and they and then once well, they've... famously, sort of, um, a reporter from Sky took a trip from London to Glasgow in an electric car and it took 15 hours because every time he stopped to, you know, to fill up with electricity, there was somebody at the pump that he wanted to use. Or one um, five were out of order of yeah, the that ten was like, that yeah, were there. Yeah, there was four yeah. and two of them weren't working. Yep. So he had to wait an hour uh, and then, you know, charge up for an hour and then get going again. And he had to do that two or three times. So every time he stopped... It, tend, it tended to be for a minimum of two hours. Mm-hmm. No, you know? that is, and that is just not practicable. And that's the thing. When, when, when you see the surveys done of drivers, that's where, you know, when they're speaking more honestly and, and giving feedback on the charging infrastructure, yeah. it's always the thing that comes out as right. being problematic. Not if you've got a driveway and you can charge at home and you use the car to commute to work and yeah. back, and that's largely what you use it for. But for long journeys, we're still not set up properly. No. Absolutely right. Let's talk about the World Cup coming up on Sunday. Um, Qatar is the destination of choice for some people, but I don't think very many. I don't get the sense that loads of England fans are going to Qatar, do you? Um, I don't. I was speaking earlier in the week to someone that had been over to stay on the cruise ship that's oh, yes. been dedicated. Is this the one the wags the are going to be on? Gonna be on but along it's like a thousand quid a night or something, isn't it? it it's six, yeah, six thousand pounds a night for their rooms, three hundred pounds <laughs> a night for a standard inside cabin. There are rumours circulating across the two. Two cruise ships for the whole length of the tournament that there'll be 6,000 Brits that are, are staying at some point right. on one of these two ships. That number, to me, feels a little bit that's inflated. A, that's a lot of people given to pay that kind of money. The number of flights to Qatar hasn't actually been anywhere near as ramped up as you would expect when you look at sort of when a, when a British club ends up going to the Champions League final or whatever, the number of flights really spikes. We yeah. haven't seen that with Qatar. No, well, I mean, I, I mean, anecdotally, uh, I would say I've, I've had very low response to any time I've asked if anyone's actually going out there because it's not a very attractive proposition. We've been now told 
told that the Qatari royal family have insisted that the beer cannot be sold at all the places that it was supposed to be being sold at. Uh, we saw uh, the incident the other day of the Danish camera crew yep. who were threatened with having their cameras destroyed because they were filming in an open street in the middle of the city. You know, it's just a very odd. I place, think isn't that it? that incident was a in my mind a classic example of someone who hasn't got the memo which right. is that's what they would normally do the right. memo now says don't do that don't because do we're you, on yeah. show to the world whatever, but, you, whatever you do um they hadn't got the memo i was in qatar in june right. um uh, at a conference we went to one of the stadiums for a big dinner right. um there was no booze allowed mm. Uh, three hours the speeches you have ne- the most self-congratulatory speeches that right. uh, you've ever seen Qatar Airways were there self-congratulatory uh, speeches that they gave we asked about booze and there yeah. was this sort of oh yes well we might be considering it possibly maybe yeah. not and right. I when it was announced that people were going to be able to drink in the stadiums I have to say cynically I thought I really wonder if that's a yeah. we need to flog more tickets mm will announce it and let's see if it's because actually going to happen. Because that is the nightmare, isn't it? That they'll have these, um, cinema, uh, these, these, these stadiums that they've built, but there won't be nobody in, in them. They won't be sitting there watching. If there's no atmosphere, that's the worst-case scenario, even for the TV audience. Well, I, I would be surprised if they are not filled somehow i right. mean we've certainly seen reports of these fans who are oh, cheering yes. the england team my and favorites were the ones who said that their favorite players were frank lampard <laughs> and wayne rooney and we're gonna kind of go they're not actually coming uh, not certainly not as players i do i have a sneaking suspicion that by hook or by crook those stadiums will be full yeah. it's just exactly how many revenue mm. ticket holders well there's are a great in there. piece in the papers today of how um the england football team actually have already lost a match on penalties they uh, apparently had a game yesterday with some migrant workers the, um, who were fortunate enough not to die while they were building the stadium and the quotes from the migrant <laughs> workers are that were two of them were selected to speak to the media and to say that they are the most sanitised quotes you have ever read would right. be the... It was sort of... You would, you could imagine someone being held hostage yes. while giving the, the We're quotes. We're very grateful to be given the opportunity, that sort of thing. Yes. Yeah, dear me. So, I mean, it kicks off... I mean, TalkSport are covering it. They're all over it. They're getting loads of people out there. So if you want to listen to it and watch it, uh, that's the place to be. But I just, I just don't think it's going to be a very successful event, really. I think the way it started is, and it's interesting as well, FIFA, you know, lots of writing letters saying, you know, look at the bigger picture, don't get bogged down in the the sort of details oh, okay, and so on. Right. I, I, I have to say the coverage that's coming out of it so far doesn't paint a picture of somewhere no. where, you know, let's see how far, uh, well, England and Wales go and see if that helps mm. boost people getting there. But also the other thing is that there's a much more vetting of arrivals in Qatar than in other places as well so I'm not sure how simple certainly and if you're going over in any capacity at the moment and and in a position of as a journalist for example you need full visas and so on. I imagine as well a lot of the people that will go will perhaps already be based in Dubai or or Abu Dhabi and places like that where it's relatively easy to travel from as opposed to here because it's very expensive to go to Qatar isn't it? It's expensive it's six hours there seven hours back it's long flight as well. Okay speaking of uh, long flights what's happening in the travel business in general? because normally you would expect this to be the beginning of a sort of Thanksgiving, Christmas period in America, of course, Thanksgiving. Um, Are people busily booking up holidays for Christmas or not really because of the cost of living? There is is a sort of optimism of uh, people still wanting to get away, reconnect, go and visit families and so on that they haven't for the last couple of years. There are definitely, though, clouds 
on the horizon for next year mm. as to what the cost of living is going to have. At the moment, travel companies are optimistic that people are going to want to particularly go away next summer. Mm. There is an element of truth in that, certainly. If you look to the 2008 recession, it was clear that for us, for British people, a summer holiday is very important. Mm. But the point I keep making understandably it's easy to expect that now in november it's relatively mild at the moment there'll be lots of people that have been have resisted me included putting on the heating until uh, as the last minute come to january that's typically when most people put their summer Mm. holidays if you're looking at your bill and going crikey i was paying 150 pounds a month uh this time last year, I'm now paying £500. That's going to very quickly eat into people's summer holiday budgets. I suspect it will. Ben, good to talk to you. Thank you very much indeed. Ben Clapworthy there from The Times uh, with all the updates that you'll need. If you are are going away, um, you know, that's all well and good. If you're not going away, you can stay here and watch everything that is going on on Talk TV. Coming next, we'll take more of your calls and also we'll be talking to Kevin O'Sullivan about I'm a Celebrity. Get me out of here. Edgy talk. Brain talk. Unrivaled talk. Mike Graham. The only radio show you can count on for a proper serving of good old-fashioned common sense. In search of the perfect debate. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham. Online. On DAB+. Talk radio and talk TV. Good afternoon and welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Gray. We're right here on Talk TV. Loads going on coming up in this hour. Mark Saggers joins us, presenter of the Sunday Night Club, uh, right here on Talk TV because, of course, the World Cup is upon us. The World Cup begins in Qatar, or Qatar, uh, depending on who you speak to, uh, on Sunday uh, with the great big opening match between Qatar uh, and Ecuador. Uh, I'm not sure I'll be watching it. I'm not sure very many people will be going out there. We just heard from Ben Clapworthy, uh, the Times travel correspondent, saying that basically it's a very expensive place to go. We've just been told as well today that the uh, Qatari royal family have basically outlawed the sale of beer uh, in any uh, of the kind of surrounding areas near the football stadiums or in the football stadiums. There will still be uh, places that you can have a drink, I think, in some of the fan zones. But it's all a bit of a weird situation. It's all at the wrong time of the year. TalkSport are going to be covering it massively of course and so if you want to listen to it at any point uh, they will have it, all the coverage that you will require but you know Gary Lineker's going out there Gary Neville's going out there we've already seen sort of fake fans we've already seen um, the uh, authorities clamping down on journalists we've already seen video footage of a Danish TV crew uh, who were threatened with having their cameras destroyed and all sorts going on uh, and also not in, not only that uh, but yesterday there was a, um, a bit of a football match a kickabout between some migrant workers in England and uh, the migrant workers won on penalties so so, doesn't sound great, does it? Let's talk to Mark Saggers and find out what's going on. Mark, a very good afternoon to you. Well, good afternoon. How do I pronounce this, first of all? Well, my Hi. daughter, who lives in Dubai and works in that region, says the actual pronunciation correctly is Qatar. Qatar. So it sounds like Qatar. Um, yeah. But basically, it's up to you, really, how you pronounce it. But I'll tell you what, it's a very weird feeling going into uh, December uh, and there's suddenly, oh, a, it suddenly a World Cup on. It's mad, isn't it? it- it's an absolute nonsense. Yeah. Oh, the prawn uh, sandwich brigade are going to be okay inside the stadiums, apparently <laughs> still. They'll still be able to raise a glass of wine or yeah. a, a bud to their buddy, right. um, as far as they're concerned. But, I mean, th- this is the problem, isn't it, now? that the, the House of FIFA, which is supposed to have got rid of all the problems up after 2015 with Seth Blatter yeah. and, and uh, Michel Platini and everybody else who was taking everybody else on. And look at where we are right now in the nonsense of November for a World Cup that starts on Sunday night. Yes. It's extraordinary. Just for just for fans of England, 
and Wales, Mike. Just think of those fans that aren't going, which are most of them. No longer will they be able to have the fan parks outside in the fog or the freezing weather or the pouring rain that we're going to have. It doesn't work in November, does it? No. It doesn't work in December. You have a, you can have a Christmas show or whatever you can or whatever they do on Hyde Park, but have a big screen late at night. Nonsense. It means that everybody will go indoors and there won't be enough room in the pubs. No. And then everyone will catch COVID or flu <laughs> or both and then we'll be wiped out again. <laughs> yeah, locked it all do? down. But this is the thing. You know, the whole point of the World Cup is that, you know, it's the end of the season. You've, oh, enjoyed, yes. you've enjoyed a great Premier League uh, or Championship, whatever you've been following, and you've got yeah. an extra bonus at the end of the year. But this is interrupting the bleeding Premier League, which is rather good this year, by the way. Yeah, it's been fantastic, hasn't it, so far? But mm. uh, yes, that it's going to be a secondary league when it comes back uh, after Boxing Day, of course. Mm. As far as England are concerned here, uh, the thing is, as always with England, we're not sure. Mm. And the reason we're not sure is because Gareth South, Southgate and those that are in the know keep telling me that it's all about defending. It's not all about defending. This World Cup's all going to be about scoring goals. Yeah. Because... There aren't that many very good sides mm. out there this time. I don't care what anybody says. There are a few stars, and there are a lot of stars that this will be the last tournament mm. for them too. But Brazil and Argentina are two quality sides. Add France to them, although their midfield seems to have been decimated. Mm. They're the three to beat. But just a word of warning, the rest of the world is catching up. Our first game on Monday against Iran yes. is no pushover. Well, I've been reading about the Iranians because apparently they're not going to celebrate any goals that they might score. So they've already thought about that, which is interesting. Uh, well, apparently, they, think they are going to score, yeah. Well, yeah, and they're saying that, that it's going to be an act of political defiance for the players because of what's going on back home in Iran. Okay. I mean, there's so many kind of counter messages going out here, aren't there? You know, you've got uh, Qatar is one of the few countries that recognises not only Iran uh, as a good country to, to, to be partners with, but they've also got an office for the Taliban there, the only one in the world well you, you just couldn't make it up mm. i mean the, the the thing for me with this though that group the england group is just fantastic mm. actually you know, it probably does need, nearly need an armed guard there because we've got the usa playing iran yeah we've got england playing wales yeah and then we got them all playing each other right and what's that going to be like <laughs> i mean literally literally and the only England fans, it's seemingly, that's going to be in the stadium will be those who will be half cut by the time they start because yeah. there'll be so many Budweiser's and everything else inside the oh. hospitality lounges. They'll be, where are they going to pull the crates of everything that were outside the stadium now? Where's all that beer going to go? Right. Well, that's the other problem, isn't it? There could well be a scene where an awful lot of the stadiums are half empty because it's well, not a footballing. It's not me. a footballing nation, right? There aren't very many people living there. Somebody described it to me as a bit like having an Olympics because it's yeah. only in one city. There's not the usual... The other feel-good thing about, you know, Brazil and Russia and all of those other places where it was held, you were travelling around to different games. Here, it's all within a sort of square mile, practically. Well, within 21 miles, actually. Yeah. All eight stadiums. Seven of them have been built at the uh, little matter of £3.5 billion, pounds, yeah. Mike. Right. They've now got. They're now going to have eight football stadiums in Qatar, as you would say, yes. or Qatar, as I'm saying, <laughs> and well, they're not going to be used again, are they? 
No. I mean, that's the thing. Apparently, one of them's being uh, closed up, like, sort of Ikea style, and shipped off somewhere. So it's like a sort of takeaway to do your own stadium, take it away with you. You know, it's yeah. ridiculous. But let's talk oh, a bit about uh, the big the story, football. the big story oh. of the week, because obviously uh, Portugal yes. playing. Ronaldo, one of those players that will probably not uh, see another World Cup. What an incredible interview that has been oh. with Piers Morgan. I mean, it's, it's literally, you can't take your eyes off him, can you? No. And to be fair, to be fair to Piers, uh, his style with that interview has been absolutely fantastic. Yeah. He sucked him in all the way. They're supposed to be bait, but really good mates. They probably are. But Ronaldo is just a petulant child who's <laughs> never grown up. I remember seeing him in Beverly Hills Hotel yeah. when he was still a superstar with Manchester United during the off-season, and he was holding court around the swimming pool. We weren't allowed anywhere near the swimming pool. Mm. It's 750 quid a night to stay in there, right. and we weren't allowed near the swimming pool. <laughs> Not that I was staying there. No, no, of course just not. Have, just, just popping in. But I mean, but he's now, entitled. But, but, but he holds court. He's yeah. got a, he's got a hundred people around him. When Gareth Bale became the most expensive footballer in the world, I went to interview Gareth Bale. My producer at the time was rung by Jorge Mendes, who is a Ronaldo's yes. agent, and said, under no circumstances, with a really threatening voice. Do you mention during the interview that Gareth Bale is now the most expensive footballer in the world? Cristiano won't like it. Well, interesting. Sort of rubbish. Well, we now read today the latest breaking news. Manchester United have begun legal moves to actually sack him. So, yeah. I mean, maybe he's got what he actually wanted. He wanted supposedly to get yes, away from the he club. Wants. He wants um, to get out because he's not... He, he's walked into that dressing room. He's got a lot of Brazilian-speaking friends of his in there. He's got one or two of his Portuguese colleagues. Yeah. And they've obviously, obviously been against some of those other people in that dressing room. Yeah. Because Ronaldo wanted to be the captain. Yeah. Fergie's got a little bit to answer for, asking, you know, swooping in and nicking him away from Manchester City. But you know what? He's gold. He's gold. Yeah. He's been gold as far as everybody's concerned. But he won't be anymore after this World Cup. Mm. And he has got to come to terms with everybody won't be bowing at the feet of the court of Ronaldo no. in the future. No, Get they used to it, son. You're nearly 38. <laughs> yeah, but what a player, though. What, a, what an oh, incredible... magnificent what an player. Inc what an incredible Not as good as the player over my um, shoulder, by the way, Pelé. Yes. At a World Cup. He was magnificent. Had he a was. bit of class about him as well. Yeah. Lionel Messi's last World Cup, this is. Yeah. Cristiano Ronaldo's last cup, this is. There are lots of others in their mid-30s who we won't see again playing at this particular tournament. Mm. And it'll be a great chance. Look, Modric is another one of those. There, yeah. are, there are many others. Yeah. But Ronaldo... Ronaldo will keep us amused because there will be histrionics. Well, because he's box office, isn't he? That's the point about the guy, is that wherever he goes, if he goes back to Italy, back to Juventus, wherever he ends up, he will immediately yeah. pay for his uh, his own wages, as ludicrous as they are, oh. with the sale of shirts. You know, got, it's incredible. Really, and, the, and the other thing is, he's got this styling team that follow him around. Right. And I, it's equivalent of the four empty <laughs> Turkish barbers we've got in our, our town now here in Stafford. Will they be allowed in with their scissors and hair gel and right. whatever to look after him all the time. I mean, that, I think it's going to be chaos for, for Cristiano, as it is for a lot of other people. Yeah. But in the end of the day, if England play five across the back and think that they could, well, three, three defense, central defenders and two wide, and think that we defend first and then attack and score later, we ain't going anywhere in this world. Well, you know that uh, the end is always going to end up the same way. They're going to lose on penalties at some point or other because they yeah. always do. Yeah. I, I, I completely agree with you. I mean, a quarter-final 
uh, after this terrible year that England have had would be great. Harry Kane is a superstar. Mm. There is absolutely no doubt about that. Jordan Pickford has to be in goal, although Pope is a terrific keeper, but Pickford's the one to, to use them. I wouldn't start with Harry Maguire. He's been shot in that uh, uh, dressing room for Manchester United yeah. this season. Uh, he seems to have an awful lot t- taken on his broad shoulders. Uh, we've got some lovely young players. Foden's got to play. I'm sure yeah. he'll play in that first game against Iran. Um, Sterling, possibly. I'd like to see Terence uh, Dred, uh, Alexander uh, get back in uh, mm. uh, at the back because he's a he's a player for me. And in the middle there, uh, Declan Rice will be absolutely fantastic and solid. Okay. But who knows what's going to happen? 29 degrees already. They're going to be playing in hot temperatures. Shouldn't shouldn't be a real problem because these guys are are, are so well looked after. But uh, I just fancy there'll be an intimidation Mm. out there that we saw in South Africa in some ways. England was the only team out there that were followed around by a coach load of soldiers. Right. Amazing. Interesting. We seem to go over the top with everything. And if if, if they feel that way, they might find it quite difficult. But they've got to remember their armbands and everything else that they've got no, to do I mean, to protest do against favor. all of this. Yeah, I mean, ridiculous. If you want to protest against it, just don't go. That would be my thing. But finally, uh, I've apparently pulled the Netherlands in the office sweepstake. What chance have I got? Um, <laughs> well, <laughs> you've gone Dutch, mate. You've got no chance, have you? I suppose you've got even money chance on that as far as getting somewhere. No, look, we're not looking an awful lot further, I don't think than either Brazil, Argentina, France. Everyone uses the lazy phrase that Germany uh, are always there or thereabouts, yeah. but they're not very good at the moment. We do have a chance of getting to a quarterfinal, possibly a semi-final. If we find something special with some of our youngsters, who knows exactly yeah. what's going to happen. But it's going to be a great World Cup because there are some emerging sides here who really will make it a little uncomfortable for some of the others. And of course, there's going to be loads of nonsense every day because you and I know that there's no beer on the streets. Do you think the uh, England fans that are trekking across from Dubai as we speak or whatever else they are, they'll want something. They'll get to the Oasis and there won't be anything to drink. It'll be a mirage. (laughs) It's going to be great stuff. Listen, Mark, we'll see you at the weekend. Fantastic. Mark Saggers, uh, presenter of Sunday Night Club, of course, uh, waxing lyrically. He says it's going to be a great World Cup. Uh, it's going to be a dry World Cup, and it's certainly going to be uh, pretty bizarre at times. But it all kicks off on Sunday, uh, and it's Qatar against Ecuador. That'll be live on Talk Sport, of course. And don't forget, on the Ronaldo front, you can watch the entire interview, all of it, all 90 minutes of it, tonight on Talk TV. Uh, this is the Independent Republic of Mike Graham. Talk radio across the UK, online, on DAB and on your smart speaker. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. If you enjoyed that, be sure to catch the whole show 10 to 1, Monday to Friday on Talk Radio via DAB online or via the Talk Radio app. And if you have an opinion on the stories we cover, we'd love to hear from you. Call us on 0344 499 1000 or tweet at Talk Radio during the show to have your say. Mid-morning with Mike Graham. Talk Radio.